The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Manchester United's shareholders cheer the return of Cristiano Ronaldo. But should they? And wannabe electric vehicle maker Rivian revs up for an $80 billion valuation. Welcome to The Views Room, a podcast from Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Anthony Curry, coming to you from Melbourne, down in Australia. We've got an alliterative offering for you this week with segments on Ronaldo and Rivian. We'll turn to the electric vehicle maker's plans to sell shares to the public a bit later. But first we turn to the football or soccer for you heathens out there, the football star's surprise decision to return to his former club, Manchester United. And joining me to discuss that uh, from Amsterdam is our usually London-based uh, EMEA editor, Peter Tal-Larsen. Peter, welcome back to the show. Hi, Anthony. Good to talk to you. How's the how's the, the capital of the Netherlands doing for you? Actually, it's not the capital. How's the, the main business hub of the Netherlands doing for you? Showing my, my growing ignorance there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's, you know, it's a little overcast and, uh, you know, everybody's kind of getting back to work and back to school after the summer. So, um, but... Um, yeah, I think things are uh, things are opening up slowly. Well, that's good. Down here, we're, we're we're in lockdown for another four weeks, but it is the first day of spring, and it feels like it. So there's something we've got that going for us at least. So, Peter, you looked at Ronaldo's decision to come back to Manchester United, and uh, you were somewhat surprised by the the uh, I suppose the, the the glee with which shareholders took the news. Manchester United shareholders took the news. What what what's the deal? So, I mean, so Cristiano Ronaldo, as most people know, is, you know, is one of the most successful, best soccer players of all time. Uh, um, you know, first at Manchester United, then at Real Madrid, uh, then most recently at Juventus in Italy, and now he's gone back to Manchester United. And that was a bit of a surprise move for a couple of reasons. One is he's 36, which is an age when most mm. strikers, at least, are, are, are contemplating retirement or definitely the end of their careers. But also because, um, uh, you know, Manchester United is not considered to be one of the really rich, big spending clubs like Manchester City, they're, they're, they're rivals, or, or Paris Saint-Germain uh, in France, which recently signed Ronaldo's big rival from, from Spain, uh, Messi. So, um, so it, was, it came as a bit of a surprise. It was sort of like a, a late Friday announcement. And the interesting Always thing Always got to be wary that, of those late Friday announcements. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the interesting thing that happened is that, is that shares in Manchester United, which is listed in New York, rose like 6%, which is quite a big jump for a, a $3 billion company. And so, you know, I can, that sort of prompted me to sort of have a look and say, well, really, can, can, can the signing of one player, even a big name, as big a name as Ronaldo, really be justified, uh, really justify that kind of move? I mean, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, on the age, I mean, not that we should be ageist. I mean, my God, the two of us shouldn't be. We're certainly a little bit older than 36. But, you know, I remember showing, showing both my age and, and, and the club I support. I remember the fantastic and wonderful striker John Walk moving to Ipswich and at 36 being shoved into defence because he was too slow. And, you know, you almost felt sorry for the guy. And here's Ronaldo sticking sticking it still up, up, in, up, up at the front at the age 36 and going to a big club. Well, and, and to be clear, I mean, also, he is, he's, he's a phenomenal athlete. It's very well known. He takes incredible care of himself. Um, he's in very good shape and he's still playing, you know, top class football. And just to, to give a sense of that. So he signed for uh, Juventus three years ago. And so in three seasons at Juventus, he scored 101 goals in 134 games, which is a phenomenal That's ratio, amazing. really, yeah. uh, for someone in his 30s. So, you know, so he's, he, he definitely still has kind of like on the field prowess. 
But I suspect with Manchester United, part of the appeal uh, is is as much kind of just his international reputation and his, his allure. I mean, so just to you know, pluck one thing out of the air, he has 335 million followers on Instagram. Uh, Manchester wow. United has something like 40 million. I think the idea is he will bring a generation, a load of fans back to Manchester United or to Manchester United for the first time internationally in a way that other players necessarily do. Mm. Does I mean, not that we are football pundits first and foremost here, but does Manchester United need him on the pitch? I, I think that's one of the interesting questions is like, how is he going to fit in? And, and I agree. I mean, I, I don't really want to sort of get into the, um, you know, kind of like how they might line up and all the different players that they have. But I think it's, but I think if we look at the sort of the financial question, I mean, the, the thing that I sort of tried to figure out, I went back and looked at, at Juventus's financial results. Juventus is also a listed company and just looked at their financial results before and after they signed Ronaldo. And, and so what you can see is that there is a, there is an increase in sponsorship revenue and in, and in right. sort of merchandising revenue, which, which presumably was partly the Ronaldo effect. Apparently he sold, they sold half a million shirts with his name on them within 24 hours of him joining Juventus, you know, sort of that kind of level of appeal. But the big thing really for, for, for these soccer clubs is, is TV revenue and TV revenue is, is partly also uh, very much driven by how you perform in the big European competitions, particularly the Champions League. And Juventus didn't actually do terribly well in the Champions League in the, in the three seasons that Ronaldo was there. And so the revenue numbers actually don't really improve that much. And then COVID comes along and obviously there's a, there's yeah. a big down, there's a, there's a big decline. But what does very obviously happen is that their wage bill goes up quite a lot. And so you can be sure that Ronaldo was, was, was being paid. We don't know the exact numbers, but you can be sure Ronaldo was being paid very healthy sums. And it's presumably also going to be paid very healthy sums by Manchester United. And so there's a set of, I think it's, it's kind of like a, a, you really look at it, you think, well, actually, this is probably going to be a wash. Maybe they sell a few more shirts, they sell a load more shirts, and maybe they can get a bit more sponsorship revenue because they have more, you know, more people are aware of them or whatever. But actually, that will then, none of that will then come through to the bottom line because actually they're paying him this mm. huge salary at the same time. And, and actually, in, yeah, as you were pointing it, out, I think in the piece there was, if you look looking at Juventus' share price, the fact that he was leaving actually boosted the price, it seems. Well, that's, I mean, that's also just a sign of how, how straightened uh, uh, some of these clubs, the straightened times they're in. You know, they've kind of, COVID has, has obviously affected, you know, they've they had to close their stadiums for a long time, so they didn't sell any tickets. In some countries, also the TV deals have become a bit wobbly, and in Italy, that's one of those cases where the sort of the domestic television rights um, uh, are, are the value of those is, is slightly in question. And so, yeah, these clubs are like looking to basically get players off the books. And so, you're right. So, so in Juventus's case, investors were. I mean, it was it was clear that he was probably going to leave for a while before Manchester United actually signed him. But the share price was going up partly because people thought, oh, good, actually this. This guy with his big salary bill um, is, is going to go somewhere else. Yeah. And uh, final comment from me on this one. Uh, it's probably an, an, another thing that, that Manchester United likes about getting him, regardless of the money, is that the other team looking to get him was rivals Manchester City. So they stole a march on them. So Exactly. So uh, so it all comes down to those rivalries. But um, uh, I don't know. We'll see how he does. We'll see how he does on the pitch. Um, but uh, I think I do think... If you're an investor in Manchester United, um, the idea that this is going to transform the finances of the club in a meaningful way, I think, is uh, is probably wishful thinking. 
Okay, well, Pete, thanks for talking us through that. Uh, and now we're going to do something somewhat unusual for breaking news. We're just going to do a complete switch of roles. And um, <laughs> now I'm going to hand over to you, Pete, to, uh, well, to, to interview me. Well, so this is the other R that you uh, mentioned at the beginning. Um, slightly less well-known R, but, but maybe yep. not for long. Um, this is Rivian Automotive, um, which, I mean, you wrote a piece this week basically saying, They've got a pretty good shot at becoming a successful battery-powered vehicle maker. Um, you know, they're developing a, a, an all-electric pickup truck and SUV, and they have some backing from Amazon. Uh, they're making vans for. I mean, there is this there is this number though that, that, that this, this eye-catching number that, that, that they're being talked about doing an IPO, which is with a valuation of seventy to eighty billion dollars. And you've sort of run the numbers a bit to see whether that or how that yeah. could possibly be justified. Is Rivian actually worth the $80 billion we're seeing out there? And I sort of thought, well, you know, what does purple smell like? I mean, there's no easy answer to this thing. Like so many of these car companies that are that are going public through one form or another, it's interesting that Rivian's going through a traditional IPO rather than through a shell company like so many others have been over the past year. Um, but virtually none of them are selling anything at the moment. In fact, virtually none of them are ready to sell anything at the moment. Rivian's a bit closer. So we should see uh, maybe their SUV and their truck will come out at the end of this year. If they're lucky, they've been delaying it. And they have sold some of the, just a few of the 100,000 or so electric vans that Amazon wants uh, to them this year. So I think they're meant to have sold 10,000 by the end of next year. So at least they're closer than others, but still we, we haven't got any revenue to look at. So I thought, okay, well, how, how do we think about this? Well, um, you've got a couple of other companies out there, some unsurprising ones in the form of Tesla, Elon Musk's outfit that trades at a ridiculously high multiple, as do most of these electric vehicle makers, certainly the ones that have half a shot are getting anyway. It trades at 100 times earnings, give or take, next 12 months earnings. It's irrelevant for Rivian, so let's put that to one side. So we look at revenue. Well, <laughs> there again, you, you've got to kind of, kind of, sort of pretend to work out what this means. So Let's shoot forward a few years. This is, and that's what most investors will do. They'll say, OK, where are we going to be standing in four years time? Well, in four years time, uh, Rivian may well have two factories. It currently has one. And those two factories could perhaps produce half a million cars you know, if they come out at, at, at full speed. And we can look at Tesla's history and say that wasn't easy. It took them a long time to get there. But if you base it on that and you assume that they're going to trade at the same Two and just under two and a half times revenue that Lucid, another uh, publicly traded, also uh, revenue or virtually revenue free electric vehicle makers trading out at the moment on 2025 earnings, then you can almost get to that level where they're making, say, 34 billion of revenue, uh, give or take. I mean, these, these things are selling at like $75,000. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, yeah. I think it's 70000 for the cheap version. Maybe the price will go up. And of course, in four years' time, if Tesla is any indication, the price will go up a fair bit from there. Although things have changed, of course, in the 10 years since Tesla came to market with some of its big cars. The batteries are cheaper. They have more of a handle, I think, on how to develop cars from scratch as car makers. I think a lot of people have learned from Tesla's many mistakes, both on the, whether it's on the roadster in the early days, the what was it then, what were the orders, the S, the X, the Model 3. Tesla basically kept, kept on committing the same kind of manufacturing errors throughout. And I think a lot of them have probably learned from that. And the other thing that Rivian has going for it is it's raised $10.5 billion. So it doesn't have the same kind of money worries that Tesla did at the start. So, and it has you know, some pretty big investors, Amazon, Ford, BlackRock, 
uh, T row price. So it has the backers you'd think had at least will be more comfortable owning this. They may well have been owning, say, Tesla 15 years ago. But I mean, and this I think is often you run into this question when you're talking about these uh, sort of blue sky scenarios for some of these electric vehicle companies is there are lots of other people out there doing it. Yeah. And I mean, the difference with Tesla, I guess, is that Tesla was at least for the first few years was kind of on its own. Um, Rivian does not have this market to itself, do they? No, it doesn't. Um, very much not. I mean, we have for eight for years now looked at Tesla and thought, look, you've got other up and comers here, or even you've got, you know, the BMWs, the Audis, the Volkswagens of this world. Even GM now is doing a doing a great job on pushing out battery cars or getting them ready at least. So at some point, surely Tesla will suffer. Well, Tesla actually, despite all of its problems, um, has managed to crank out, I think, almost half a million cars last year. Finally, so you know, it's. It got there by hook or by crook, and luckily the others weren't up to speed. Now we've got them getting up to speed. You've, Tesla's also producing a truck, uh, which is what uh, Rivian wants to go after. Tesla already has an SUV out there, which Rivian wants to do. Um, Ford is another great example. Ford is producing the F-150. It's it's iconic truck that it's or you know small truck that it's I think has been the the best selling vehicle in the U.S. for. 40 years or more until very recently. I think it may still be the best-selling car, um, best-selling truck. Uh, and it's already got 120,000 reservations for the F-150 Lightning, as it's called. So, you know, you think if, if you were Rivian and you're just targeting that sort of, sort of upper echelon space on pricing, you've got a lot of companies out there that are really pitching at the same level as well. And they're already far more advanced than any of them were when Tesla was going through the similar kind of competitive issues four, five, six years ago. Okay. Well, I guess we're going to be finding out at some point uh, about uh, about Rivian. Apparently, they've, according to Reuters' story, they've filed confidentially for an IPO. So um, maybe those numbers, they'll be revealing the numbers, such numbers as there are, um, uh, sooner rather than later. And then um, we'll be able to see what the market actually thinks of the valuation of this company. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it may be just a month or two off. Apparently, they're targeting a uh, an IPO around Thanksgiving, which is around the end of uh, end of November. Great. Well, thank you, Anthony. That's really interesting. Well, that brings us to the end of the show this week. Uh, Anthony, back to you. Great. Thanks, Peter. Uh, that is indeed our show for this week. So thanks again, Pete, for coming on. We extend our gratitude as always to our producers, Sharon Lamb and Katrina Hamlin. Thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Do check us out every day at breakingviews.com. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister show, The Exchange, on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcast kicks. And please do share your opinions about our shows. Join us again next week for another edition.